there, everybody. It is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I am so happy that you're here with me today for episode 105. So I'm really excited about this episode. But first, before we hop into that, I want to take a minute to give a listener shout out to Franny. So Franny writes and says, I just recently discovered this podcast last semester through a friend in my nursing program. At first, I was hesitant to try a nursing podcast because normally I consider myself a visual learner. However, I find myself in my car a lot driving to and from work and school. Finally, one day I needed to study, but I had a bunch of driving I had to do. So I turned this podcast on and I loved it. Super helpful. She is very clear and goes at a pace that I can understand. At this point, I don't know what I do without this. Thank you for making these. I'm now in my last semester before I am an RN. Wish I had found them sooner. Franny, thank you so much. I'm so glad you found it no matter when you found it. So I'm glad to be here for you and for all of you. And I love that your commute now is productive time and not just wasted time. So thank you so much for taking the time to write that. And I always say, just because you're one type of learner predominantly doesn't mean that you can't learn in another way. And I invite people to explore all learning styles because I really do think that by using different parts of your brain, you're going to capture and retain information differently. So thank you for uh, explaining how that worked for you, Franny. Okay, you guys. So today is... A really cool topic <laughs> called the nose of a nurse or the nose nose. And in the clinical setting, as you guys probably have already learned, if you've already been there, and as you will soon learn as nursing students, nurses come across all kinds of sights, sounds, and smells um, beyond the obvious smells that people complain about having to do with elimination. Certain smells can tell you a thing or two about your patient's health that can actually be helpful information for your assessment. So in today's podcast, I've got a list of a few disease states that come with a special odor of their own. So while, you know, bad smells clearly are not the favorite part of anybody that works in a hospital, there are times when they can tell you a lot about what's going on with your patient and come in handy. And we will talk about how to handle them with grace in a little bit. So first one is pseudomonas. So people that can really smell this odor, this pseudomonas smell, are very good at identifying it. I'm not super great at it, but I find that that's a little bit uncommon. Most people can smell it very distinctly, and once they get a whiff of it, forever remember Pseudomonas. So some people will describe it as smelling like grapes. I've heard cheesy grapes, which I don't know what a cheesy grape smells like, but I guess if you smell it, you get it. Um, some people call it a bad sweet wine smell. So Pseudomonas is pretty common in pneumonia and in bacteremia wounds and urinary tract infections. So if you smell something that looks infected and you smell cheesy grapes or bad sweet wine, there's a good chance that that could be pseudomonas. Okay, then we have 
arsenic. I've never personally smelled this. I don't think that I necessarily would in the ICU, but maybe in the ER if someone's coming in with arsenic poisoning. Um, this patient could have a garlic odor to their body tissues or their breath. Other signs include hematuria, so blood in the urine, patient having stomach cramps, hair loss, excessive saliva, and very severe diarrhea. So if your patient's coming in and they're salivating like crazy, they've got diarrhea and blood in their urine, and they've got this garlic smell to their breath or their body tissues, maybe they have arsenic poisoning. You never know. Okay, then there's cyanide. So cyanide is one of those smells that only some people can detect. And the odor of it has typically been described as bitter almonds. I don't know what bitter almonds smell like. I feel like I have a very poor sense of smell because a lot of these I'm like, I've never really smelled that. Um, but cyanide has been called a bitter almond aroma. It's more often actually noticed in the autopsy of a patient who died from cyanide poisoning, but you could possibly notice it on the breath. So if you have the gene that enables you to smell cyanide, then that is what it might smell like. Okay, then we have really, 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 really bad breath. Okay, so in liver failure, namely with portal, portal hypertension, the thiols go straight to the lungs and then they are exhaled and these thiols smell really bad. And the smell known as fetor hepaticus, I might not be saying the fetor, it might be fetor hepaticus, is described as musty, uh, dead fish, fecal, rotting egg smell. It's just a really, really, really bad smell. Um, it's not a smell that you'll ever forget once you have smelled it. Um, Taking care of patients in, in liver failure, by the way, is very challenging. I did write about it on the website, so I will link to that in the show notes because I find it it's very interesting because they're very complex patients. So if you smell this smell on a patient, it's likely, maybe they don't just have poor oral hygiene. It could be liver failure. Okay, what if you smell like fruity, acetone, nail polish, remover smell? Well, that could be DKA. So in diabetic ketoacidosis, the patient's breath typically has that fruity, acetone kind of smell, which is the odor that the ketones have, um, the body's trying to get rid of those ketones. So um, I'll link to a post about DKA as well, because that's also another very interesting uh, pathogen physiology and uh, medical treatment. Again, that's that fruity breath, DKA. That's going to be a test question, you guys. You can pretty much bank on that. Okay, ammonia. Oftentimes you will um, smell ammonia in the urine of a patient with a UTI or some kind of kidney trouble, so you may notice that. Having an odor of stale beer to your patient could mean uh, the patient has an infection described as... Uh, it's scrofula. I'm probably not saying that right as well, but it's essentially uh, a lymphadenitis, lymphadenitis of the cervical lymph nodes. It's very often associated with a tuberculosis. So a stale beer smell could be uh, a condition associated with tuberculosis in your patient. 
If your patient's sweat smells like vinegar, then there could be some schizophrenia. I don't know why. I didn't see um, a pathophysiological explanation for this, but just that it could possibly be related. And then if your patient has a smell of freshly baked bread, that can be because of typhoid. So it's not that they are a baker and they're bringing you a snack. They may have typhoid. Or maybe they are a baker and they're bringing you a snack, which would be better. If there is a smell of rotting eggs, this is often gangrene. Gangrene has a very terrible odor and can often smell like rotting eggs. And then patients who are unable to break down trimethylamine. Wow, that was a hard one. This episode is full of really hard words to pronounce, by the way. If your patient is unable to break down trimethylamine, which is found in liver, eggs, and some fish, then their body will produce a strong fishy odor. So there you go. Those are some um, just interesting smells that might be associated with different diagnoses in your patients. I find stuff like this very interesting, even if I don't come across it that often. But I think maybe in the ER where you're seeing so many different types of people and so many different types of things, you might you might actually notice some of these. Okay, two odors that are described as indescribable and unforgettable. So you will encounter these a lot in the clinical setting. And to be honest, they are pretty bad. They are kind of hard to describe, but once you smell them, you will never, ever have the pleasure of forgetting them. Um, You know, one whiff and it's implanted in your brain forever. So one of those is a GI bleed. So the smell of that dark bloody stool, that Milana, is very, very distinctive. Once you smell it, you will immediately walk in a room and know that your patient is a GI bleed patient. So um, and these patients bleed a lot and it's very distressing for them. And to that, I would say, and to any of these, I would say, just put on your poker face, okay? Put on your poker face. You're used to this. You can deal with it. And then the other very distinctive smell that once you smell, never leaves your memory is C. diff. That is very characteristic odor. Again, kind of hard to explain, but once you get it, it's kind of rancid, slightly sweet, but not in a good way, strong fecal odor, and that's C. diff. So again, how you handle this is with grace always and always protecting your patient's dignity. Okay, that is paramount. So how we handle bad smells in the hospital really goes a long way toward um, expressing our compassion remaining professional, and again, always keeping your patient's dignity in mind because patients know when, well, if they're not, you know, unless they're super, super sick, they know when things are going south and don't smell well. And the last thing that you want to do is cause them any further embarrassment or discomfort. So the first steps Um, To handling bad smells or, you know, strong odors, as we'll say, in the clinical setting is recognize what your role is. So as the nurse, you're taking care of people who are very, very vulnerable and 
you would never want them to know that you are having difficulty doing your job because of something that is unpleasant, you know, having to do with their body or their disease condition. Um, Sometimes I've had to leave the room for a minute and I just make up an excuse and leave the room and come back when I feel like I am able. Try your very best not to ever let it show. Okay, you guys, that would be just my main thing. And you do get... I don't know if your sense of smell gets damaged working as a nurse around such strong odors all the time and all the cleaning chemicals, or if you just get kind of used to it and they don't bother you as much. I would say that now doesn't really bother me that much anymore, but when I was brand new, yeah, it bothered me a lot. I had to get used to it. So here are some tips for managing strong odors in the clinical setting. So one of the things you can do is put a tea bag inside your face mask. So if I know I'm going in to do a massive cleanup, especially on a patient that I think it's going to be pretty smelly, maybe they have C. diff or something, I'll wear a mask. I'll wear a mask, lounge gloves, I'll just, you know, gloves, I'll just head to toe, you know, assuming that there's adequate PPE, right? Um, But let's say there's adequate PPE for all this stuff. I'm putting on a gown, I'm putting on gloves, I'm putting on a mask, I'm putting on my goggles. And you can put a tea bag inside your mask and nobody has to know that you're smelling peppermint or lemon instead of what's actually happening. So that's a good little tip. You could also put a little bit of essential oil on the inside of a mask. Peppermint is good. It tends to mask a lot of smells. There's some products out there which are great. There was, I don't know if they're still making them, but these products called Snuff Sticks, S-N-O-U-G-H, Snuff Sticks, and that's what they're for, like masking odors. You put a little bit under your nose and you smell that instead of whatever it is. I would have to say, though, that Vicks VapoRub, that stuff that people put on their chest when they're congested, probably works better because it's so um, concentrated and the smell is so strong. I used to carry a little bit of that around in a contact lens case, little contact lens case. Don't mix it up and put Vicks VapoRub in your eye, please. But I had some in my nerd in my work bag, and I could just smear a little bit, and voila, everything was A-OK. You could also pop a menthol cough drop into your mouth before you go into the room, and then if you're wearing a mask on top of that, you kind of just smell menthol. So that's a really good tip. Another great tip is to keep a small little container of coffee beans in your work bag. One of the problems with these odors is that you can continue to smell them for hours afterward. So cleansing kind of your olfactory palate, as it as it were, can help. So smelling coffee beans can help do that. Sometimes people will do that when they're wine tasting to kind of clear out so that they get a fresh smell and fresh taste of the next wine, well, it kind of works in the hospital too. Smelling some coffee beans, plus it smells really just amazing. Okay. Um, Okay, so ostomy bags, a lot of times the output, especially from an ileostomy, it's highly enzymatic and has an especially strong odor. So when emptying ostomy bags, I like to just empty it and immediately place a washcloth over the top of the collection container, and that helps cut the odor way down. Um, And then you can finish, you know, cleaning and caring for the patient without having to hurry because you've got this odorific, you know, effluent in the container it's covered and the smell stays pretty much contained. 
Um, when cleaning up stool, coverage is key, you guys. So um, as soon as I turn the patient, I typically will take the absorbent pad, the chucks pad, and kind of fold it over and get as much stool off the patient, like wipe the, the pad down their backside and get as much of it off and underneath that folded part of the pad immediately that I can. Covered stool does not smell nearly as strongly as stool that's just out there in the air, okay? So cover as soon as you can. That is quick and it makes cleanup a lot faster and is more comfortable for your patient. Okay, some patients will come in, um, your undomiciled patient perhaps, who has not had a bath in a very, very, very long time. And I find one, uh, one really rewarding part of my job is to be able to get these patients fresh and clean. It just feels so good for them. And it's also really excellent nursing care. So, um, those bedside shower cap things we use to kind of wash our patient's hair, you, I will get three of those. I'll put one on my patient's head and one on each foot. If they're diabetic and I'm worried about, you know, the foot staying moist for too long, I won't leave the shower cap on for too long. But if they're not diabetic, I can let the foot soak in that shower cap thing for a while. It does a great job at cleaning the feet and they smell really nice too. Um, and then you can double bag all of the clothing. I've even had uh, one of our techs at work, this wonderful woman, this patient had really smelly clothing and was homeless and she took his clothes home and washed them and brought him back freshly laundered clothes. So that's going above and beyond, but a super nice thing to do. Um, otherwise, maybe instead of giving them back their dirty clothing, you know, that might not be in the best condition, my hospital has a clothes closet in the ER and getting the patient fresh clothes to wear when they leave is also really nice and really helpful. Um, I have heard about people nebulizing coffee, which, so let's say you've got a room that's just got some really bad odors. Maybe the patient has a gangrenous wound or something, and there's just no getting around the fact that um, there's a bad odor in the room. You can set up a neb treatment with coffee, and it will pretty well clear the air. Um, you know, obviously, don't ever do this in any situation where the nebulized coffee could be mistaken for a nebulized medical treatment because you would not ever, ever, ever want to inhale, you know, like inhaled nebulized coffee. Huh, that would be bad. Okay. Or maybe it would be really good. I don't know. Just kidding. Don't do that. Okay. Some hospitals use aromatherapy. I worked in a unit that had diffusers and it helped so much to keep bad smells from, from diffusing, you know, getting throughout the unit. So um, check into that if that is an option. You can also put coffee ground coffee, man. It's like really awesome. This is the third time coffee has come up. You could put coffee grounds and cups kind of here and there throughout a really odiferous room. Another thing that works really well is shaving cream, just kind of placed here and there. Um, I call that, you know, nurse aromatherapy. So if that is an option, that's a great idea. And last but not least, one of the best ways to keep bad smells from overtaking your patient and their room 
is to simply keep them very clean. Make sure they get their daily baths. Remove the scuds when you're doing that bath, you guys. You'd be surprised at how many people don't. And then you go and do it and it's clear they've been on for days. And the smell from scuds that haven't had a chance to air out or the leg that hasn't had a chance to air out is another one of those memorable odors. So take the scuds off, wash their skin, let it dry completely. Let the scuds dry completely before you put them back on or just toss them out and get a new pair. Um, That will help a lot. Same goes for the blood pressure cuff that's on, especially in the ICU. We just leave them on. Um, Move it, switch it to the other extremity if you can, get a fresh one, make sure you clean that area. Change linens, change gowns, wash hair. These things sound so basic, but it's just a nice basic nursing care. Cleanliness reduces the risk of infection. It makes your patient feel better. It makes for a better environment for everyone. So those are my little tips for smells in the hospital, some interesting conditions that have a distinctive odor associated with them, and then some ways to manage smells that aren't so pleasant in a way that protects your patient's dignity and protects their vulnerability. You're the steward of that vulnerability and just keeping them safe, keeping their dignity intact. I can't talk about that enough and making sure that they don't feel uncomfortable about something that, you know, probably is very uncomfortable for them. So thank you guys for tuning in today to this more lighthearted topic. And I will see you back here next week when we talk about Kawasaki disease, a disease that afflicts children. We haven't talked about pediatrics in a while. So we'll come back to peds next week and talk about that. And I just want to remind you that if you're starting nursing school, in nursing school, the planners for the July 2020 to June 2021 academic year are available in our Etsy shop. So I'll link to it in the show notes so that you guys can go straight there and check those out. Okay. Have a great week, everyone. And I will see you again very soon. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. 